Hello everyone and welcome to our podcast, Alchemical Conversations. I am Elior. And I'm Danny. Today we're going to be talking about the question, is astrology real? Indeed, is it real? Or is it an illusion? And how do we know if it's real or not real? What does science say about astrology? What does common sense say about astrology? So let's begin to dissect these arguments one by one and hope that we'll get to the bottom of the issue. Okay, so the first argument, the most obvious one, is that astrology is real because it is real for many, many people. Every, people who um, get a chart reading or understand their chart, what their sun sign means, their moon, their ascendant, where their Saturn, where their Mars is, and they reflect and realize that, wow, there is a one-to-one correspondence. For example, between uh, where my Saturn is and the area in my life where I feel very limited, or the house where my Mars is and the place where I have a lot of energy to move and change things. These were just a few examples, but um, basically when you just see for yourself through reflecting that astrology is real, then it is very real. And the fact that it's very real for many people could be a good enough reason to say it's real. Danny, what do you think about that? Yeah, there are millions of people around the world who use astrology, um, find value in it, see that it matches their experience and that it's useful. So that in itself is good a good piece of evidence that there's something that people find useful there. And also it's important to remember that astrology is not new. It's a very ancient thing that's been developed, you know, over m- millennia. Thousands of years. Thousands of years. Yeah. By people in various different cultures mm-hmm. um, who kind of, you know, had their own way of doing things, but also agreed on mm-hmm. a lot of the the basic things. So yeah, the signs, the the planets. Yeah, in the, it started. I don't know if it started there, but it was uh, used in Mesopotamia, right? It also spread to India and the East and also the West. It's both. In a way, it is something that unites the West, Europe, and the East. Both use astrology. Yeah, they do use astrology, different kinds of astrology. You know, they yeah. don't necessarily use the same symbols. Yeah, they use sidereal and the, the West uses tro- tropical. But this is a topic for another conversation. Yeah, and uh-huh. that's just comparing the Indian astrology with what we usually call Western maybe mm-hmm. Hellenistic, but then there's also Chinese, which is like a different thing all of, of its own. Yeah. But yeah, we won't get into that too much. But what, is, what does it tell us about the human psyche? The fact that, okay, there are different kinds of astrologies, different ways of looking at the skies and deriving meaning out of it. So if you think that astrology is not real, that it is just an illusion, um, then that's also asserting that some of the world's greatest minds in history um, 
were totally mistaken, you know, like some of the greatest philosophers, yeah. scientists who we still think of as brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, they were all mistaken. The ancient Greek people, the 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 Hindu, the the Chinese, they all fell into one big delusion of astrology. But I mean, it's not such a big, far-fetched thing to think about. And for many people, it is obvious. Like, oh, okay, many people believe in a QAnon. Many people believe in a, in a fall into cults. So why wouldn't it be just a cult, you know, just meaningless cult that world that catches fire worldwide and people are just like like stupid, like sheep fall like a herd into a delusion. Do you have an answer to it, Danny? It is true that mass delusion is possible and it happens. Mm -hmm. But every case needs to be looked at on its own yeah. to see, you know, whether it's really um, people being deluded or if there's there's some truth there that people are mm -hmm. being attracted to because people exactly. are not only yeah. attracted to illusion because people also value truth. So let's go into it more specifically. We've already established the, the, the fact that a lot of people identify with it. But that's not enough of an answer for many people. Okay, you can identify with anything. You can convince yourself that you are something which you are not. And, and that takes us to the Barnum effect, which means that you can basically identify with anything. If I read about Aries, while well, I'm actually Aquarius, and I can say, wow, I'm so much like an Aries. And basically you can convince a person of any quality. If they look deep enough, they can find it there. So it's so vague that what's the point of even trying? I think that the kind of astrology that a lot of people are familiar with, like a sun sign horoscope in a magazine or a newspaper or something like that, mm -hmm. um, where it's just something for your sun sign um, in a particular month or something, and so, yeah, those are generally written in such a vague, uh, in such vague language that most people could identify with it if they think that it's supposed to to describe them and their experience. Uh -huh. um, but that's a very simplified version of astrology. It's it's not really what it's not doesn't arrive at the levels of specificity that that astrology mm -hmm. can get to if you look at an entire chart and not just mm -hmm. one placement in a chart the whole mm -hmm. the beauty of astrology is that it is so complex and unique and you know no no two people's charts are exactly the same because they're not born at the exact same moment in the exact same place you know only one person even except for twins well, but even twins are are separated. Their birth is separated by a, a few minute minutes. or two, oh, and yeah. that has significance. Hmm. Even even such small differences shows that even such small differences have some hmm. little significance. Um, and even if you look at the charts of twins, most they'll be mostly the same, but there might be one little thing that like makes mm -hmm. a big difference. So yeah, 
Interesting. Yeah, indeed, the complexity of of your chart reveals a lot of information that you cannot get from a simple horoscope that you read in some random magazine that says, oh, you're an Aries today, you will meet a very significant female figure in your life and there will be something blah, blah, blah. Like, no, this is stupid. This is too specific and this is... That's why people lose faith in astrology because they think that that's what astrology is. Predicting, predicting either very vague or very specific things um, which are detached from who you are as a person because it just generalizes for all Aquarius or for all Leos and stuff like that. And you need to be more specific with astrology. And it really shines, it really shows its beauty when you really go deep into your own chart and understand it fully and the dynamics that's going on there and how um, it's a reflection of the dynamics in your life, both internally, how you feel inside of you, and also the events that happen to you. I can attest for what I see, um, how it's true for me. So... I would go and say also there is another point here, which is you need some self-awareness in order to understand your chart. And there's a lot of people out there who don't have the sufficient self-awareness to reflect and say, oh, yeah, I can see that that is my moon or that and that's the qualities of my sun and so on, Um, because they're not really aware of themselves. These are people who are like very unconscious and project their shadow onto other people. Um, These kind of people, it would take them a long time to figure out how their chart reflects their life. Okay, and and another um, response to, to that argument that anyone can identify with it is that like, yeah, we all are human and we have the same psychic and physical roots you know we're all one species we're all on the Mm -hmm. earth all of us have there are certain experiences that are pretty universal Mm -hmm. um and that's actually included in astrology that that you know everyone has everything in a sense that um you know it's not that some people have a a certain sign and some mm-hmm. others and everyone has all the signs everyone has all the planets yeah they're just in different configurations um but yeah if you can relate to for example every sign of the zodiac in some way that's because it's part of your life it's, it's part, part of, of you experience yeah so if i read about um the sign of leo and i identify with it it because it is contained within me Mm-hmm. Or rather, I'm contained within it. But then it's another question. How Leo is expressed in your life? For me, it's in the second house. So it's more about belongings and possessions. I like to have extravagant things. I like to live comfortably. That is, that's how it manifests in my life. For another person, it could be in the ninth house which means a person who really shows their philosophy and very proud of what they believe in. And so how Leo is expressed, for example, is different for different people. 
So, yeah, well done. If you can identify with all the other signs, that means that you are, in a way, self-aware. You do have some sufficient self-awareness there. Um, what you need to do is to make it more precise. And I think a lot of people have the idea, they think of astrology as something that separates and divides people and puts them like, you know, you are an Aquarius and that's all you are. And this, this other person is a Cancer and that's all they are, um, which is really the opposite of what astrology is about. It's mm -hmm. showing you that like you have a full spectrum of all of the mm -hmm. different kinds of experiences just in different, showing up in different ways mm -hmm. in your life. So even though there are people that kind of abuse astrology, I feel like, and use it as an excuse to like discriminate against certain people or something, you know, like say, oh, I'll never be friends with a Gemini or oh, something. Oh, boy. That's, I mean, that's just a stupid use of it, but it, you know, mm -hmm. just because people misuse it doesn't mean that yeah. astrology itself isn't valid or useful. Yeah, exactly. You can abuse astrology and you can use it wisely. The choice is yours, like everything in, in life. Okay, so I think we are ready to move to our next argument, um, which is some claims that astrology only works in retrospect. Like, you can always look back and say, oh, I did such and such because Mercury was in retrograde, or um, such and such happened because Mars was in my sixth house, or something like that. And that's kind of like the easy thing. And I think some people criticize astrology for the fact that it can't predict. But what they think about prediction is more like uh, particular predictions, like you will meet such and such person or something specific uh, will happen to you. But astrology is vague by its nature. And that is a good point to mention. It is archetypal. We're talking about different um, patterns of qualities that constellate in different configurations at different times. It doesn't predict what's going to happen to you specifically. And some people, materialistically minded, tend to think that if you cannot quantify it, then it's not real. Yeah, that is a very common objection. Many people think that if it, if it only works in retrospect, that it isn't valid in the same sense as like it's, it's not scientific. It can't make very specific predictions that can then be um, tested mm -hmm. and see if they, they bear out. And so it's kind of true that astrology does not have the precision of an exact science that can make very specific predictions in terms of like quantities that you can measure and that it's going mm -hmm. to um, turn out exactly. So what predict. kind of predictions um, is astrology making? It's making predictions of general trends and patterns that, you know, you can say when there's a certain alignment in the stars in uh, among the planets in our solar system, um, that certain kinds of events tend to happen, like mm -hmm. um, violent uprisings or mm -hmm. 
market crashes or pandemics or things mm-hmm. like that. You know, you can see that they tend to occur around the same um, time in the the cycles of of different planets. Interesting. Can you give us an example for such an alignment? Yeah. So when the planet Saturn and Pluto make hard aspects to each other, so that means they're either they're in a 90, um, 90 degree relationship, the angle between them, or 180, or they're at the same place in the, from the perspective of Earth, then that's usually when there are like big crises and usually things that have to do with um, like authoritarian governments and things like that. So, for example, the, the, the last Saturn-Pluto conjunction was in 2020, around the same time the uh, COVID pandemic began. Mm-hmm. And uh, before that was in 2001, in September of 2001, around when 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. Um, that was another Saturn-Pluto conjunction. I think it was the opposition. Oh, opposition, which is another hard aspect. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you can see these cycles and say, oh, yeah, last time there was 9-11 and then another time there was pandemic. Therefore, the next time it's going to happen, there's going to be something hard happening, something difficult is going to happen again. So you can say if it will be a pandemic, it will be a terror attack, it will be an economic crash. Who knows? But you can try maybe if you look at other alignments and other things, you can try and find something. But... You can say something specific. You can say, well, this is the pattern. Then something like that is going to happen. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And really that's where I find the most utility in astrology is that you can look back and, and explain history in terms of astrological alignments. Like, mm-hmm. I find that to be even more interesting and useful than trying to predict what's going to happen in the future. I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, I mean, isn't understanding our history not less important than predicting the future? I mean, you can only predict the future as much as you understand the past. Okay, so that was that. Now let's move to another argument. This is, I feel, is more of an emotional argument, which is... The feeling that you, we are humans are like so, so tiny compared to the Earth and com- compared to the solar system. That how could that be that uh, the planets affect me, Elior, you, Danny, as, a, as little people in such a big, big universe? And that question, I think, assumes it assumes materialistic perspective. It does assume that if there is an effect, it should be something obvious, something measurable, something, you, you know, you can have some instrument that says, oh, yeah, Jupiter is mm-hmm. having this effect on you. And you can, you, we can Measure. see it in some little screen or something, you know, like. Yeah. But, yeah, the only um, equipment tool of measurement is you. It's the eye that stands at the center of each person. This is the, the device of measurement, the ego. 
the your understanding of who you are so what we do find as evidence is um, a correlation between the placements the configurations of the stars and our um, subjective experience and then comes the question how could that be uh, from a materialistic perspective is there some way that the planets affect me like do they move me in a way what what would be the answer to that well just speaking from yeah just from a physical perspective like what what does physics tell us we know at least that we are affected by the gravity of all of the stars and and planets hypothetically and in the whole universe you know Mm -hmm. um the question is just to what degree you know it yeah the the gravity of the earth obviously is magnitudes greater than the gravity of jupiter for us here on earth Mm -hmm. but physically we know that there is still some measure of gravity that's affecting everything so gravity is at least one way that we know that there is an effect Mm -hmm. um, if you want to just look at physics yeah indeed and we do know that the moon influences the tides that's like that is something that is obvious to us and if it can affect water in some way then when we are made mostly of water then obviously there is some kind of influence there now you can think that also saturn is attracting us a little bit and jupiter is attracting us a little bit and we are all attracted to it to to our neighborhoods to the solar system neighborhood and all planets are obviously attracted, gravitating towards the sun. And this gravity is, is influencing our psyche. Because the psyche, and this is the idea that the ancient people um, believed in, and I believe is true, is the anima mundi. That we are, there is no my psyche and your psyche. We are all inside one big psyche. Of course, there are individual psyches, but these are just like different layers. And ultimately, we are all connected to the soul of of the Earth and of the solar system and of the universe as a whole. Therefore, um, to think that you are too small to be influenced is um, devaluating yourself a little bit. Because everything is influencing us we are in it we are in the in the middle of this happening as above so below yeah it's easy to feel like you're really small and insignificant if you look at try to you know imagine how big the universe is as a whole um but you can also look in the the other direction of looking at the the, the very smallest things that we have evidence that exist you know you get down to single cells molecules atoms protons whatever you know these things are so tiny that like they're so far from anything we could actually experience too (laughs) so in that sense we're actually huge and complex (laughs) built up of a huge number of small things so like you can feel very both very small and very big depending on which way you're looking exactly i mean every person every animal every living being is a universe on its own if you think about it this way, 
So, in a way, we are repeating what Ellen Watts said. You're always at the center of the universe. There's always so much you can go inwards. You can look within your body physically. It's a whole universe on its own and you can situate yourself within an infinite universe. It's almost it's infinite both ways. And we also can't forget to mention if we're talking even just from a physical perspective that um, the last century of physics has totally changed our understanding of uh, what is the fundamental basis of what we call physical reality that um, moves far beyond just the Newtonian paradigm of mm-hmm. like billiard balls being hit mm-hmm. against each other and gravity and you know these yeah. simple easy equations quantum physics has shown that what's at the basis of physical reality is not physical at all you know, yeah. it's, it's a field of probabilities so it's, mm-hmm. it's totally different than most people's conception of what reality is. Yes, in fact, when Einstein spoke about uh, spooky action at a distance, he referred to non-locality, which comes from the observation in the beginning of the 20th century of um, a particle that split into two different particles, and uh, both particles were somehow connected to each other. They showed the same effects. When one particle had one quality, the other one had the same quality. And what they thought is probably there is some communication going on between these particles, and that's how we see these simultaneous effects. What it turns out is that the distance was too large for any information to move in space. Therefore, the only conclusion was that there was some field, something out there, a third thing, that somehow um, governs these two particles and creates the same effects in both of them simultaneously. And that's called quantum entanglement, when two particles are entangled. And if you go with this idea of quantum entanglement to its natural conclusion, which means that if everything that splits is somehow entangled, its parts are entangled, and if everything ultimately came from the Big Bang, from that point from which everything split, and that's how we got here, then everything is entangled to everything. We also have evidence of these kind of effects within biology like in um, flocks of birds or school of fish that move Mm -hmm. all as one in a way that there's no way that there's some communication happening across space it's it's simultaneous Mm -hmm. they're they're all entrained to some greater awareness Mm -hmm. that is is controlling them so they are connected to the same field I also looked at a school of fish in the lake near our house and I see they're all moving into the same direction simultaneously. You look at the birds and they also do it. Alright, so that takes us to the idea of a field. Rupert Sheldrake calls it a morphic field, which is a field that shapes, that influences form and behavior. So to think about astrology from a field perspective, is to see the planets as being situated in a field. 
And that field includes both the planet as we can see it in the sky and the qualities of the planet, the soul of the planet. So, for example, with Saturn, this is a planet that represents limitations, authority, institutions. So it is not the case that Saturn as a planet influences us in Earth and then all these qualities emerge by some kind of invisible rays sent from the planet of Saturn. It is actually that both the planet Saturn and all of these things, these qualities that we mentioned, are constellating within the same field. And that field, we can think about it as the archetype of Saturn. Yes, and we need to know also where the qualities of the archetype of Saturn come from, that they derive from the basic properties of the planet that you can observe, and sort of, you know, it's it, the astronomical facts about it. So, for example, Saturn is the furthest planet from the sun that is visible with the naked eye. So, in, before there were telescopes, it was the limit of the solar system. So, of course, it represents a limitation or something that gives structure. It was also the slowest. So, that's one quality of the archetype is it's slow. And since it's the farthest planet from the sun, it's also very cold. It doesn't have a lot of heat there. So that's where Saturn gets these cold, dry, slow qualities. So if you want to speak in a way that's objectively accurate, then you could say that certain experiences of a Saturnian nature, things that have to do with limitations and challenges and slowness, that they correlate with the cycle of Saturn's orbit around the sun, rather than saying that Saturn causes those things to happen to us here on Earth. Exactly, but no one really speaks like that, and it is more difficult and more uh, verbose. So we just simplify it. We say, oh, it caused, it made me. And that's okay, but we need to understand what goes on behind the language. After all, language is deceiving. The grammar of English must have a subject and an object. We must know who is doing the action and who the action is done to. But when we talk about archetypes, we need to go beyond the framework of causality. And we need to move to the framework of synchronicities, which is a concept that is foreign to the West. Yeah, for Westerners, it is quite a foreign concept even though it's been a very widely known and accepted concept in the East for a long time. For instance, in Buddhism, there's the idea that's called, in English, dependent origination, which is basically this, the same idea that inner and outer, material and spiritual, they, they arise together, one does not cause the other. It's also part of the philosophy called Taoism, which most people know by the yin-yang symbol that shows that the, there is a duality of yin and yang, masculine and feminine, dark and light, but they are united in a single whole, a oneness that is called the Tao. So even though this concept is pretty foreign to Western people, 
Um, Jung actually coined the term synchronicity to refer to this same phenomenon. And how Jung defined synchronicity is that it is a meaningful coincidence between an outer situation and an inner psychic state or content. So there's a famous example of this from one of Jung's clinical sessions with his patients where he had a patient who dreamed of a scarab beetle and then as she was telling Jung about this dream a scarab beetle or a beetle that that looked very similar to a scarab was actually outside of the window of the office where they were trying to get in and Jung was able to see how the beetle actually symbolized something that was happening within the psyche of, of this woman. The beetle is, or the scarab has been a symbol of renewal and that was something that was happening for her at that time. That's why it came up in her dream. And so the beetle showing up there, which is a very improbable thing to happen. They were in Switzerland where I don't think this was a very common beetle, but it was meaningful. It, it coincided with something going on internally in the psyche. Very interesting. I myself experienced a lot of synchronicities in my life and we experienced them a lot together, you and I, Danny. Um, There was one time when we were driving from San Francisco back to our home in Oregon and I noticed, I looked at the GPS app and saw that there were 4 hours and 20 minutes left to our destination just as we passed next to a sign that says Weeds California. So that was an amazing thing for me to see because what it means is that the archetype of weed manifested itself through the number that is commonly associated with uh, marijuana, 420, and the sign that uh, pointed to the direction of a city called Weeds in California that association, that was a meaningful coincidence. So in the same way, we can extrapolate from this example and say that certain planetary alignments are also associated, correlated with events that happen here on Earth. I just thought of another quote from Jung that I saw today, where he said, Astrology is assured recognition from psychology without further restriction because astrology represents the summation of all psychological knowledge of antiquity. The summation of all psychological... Knowledge of antiquity. Knowledge of antiquity. Wow. So in a sense, astrology is sort of the psychology of the ancient world. It's, it's how they made sense mm-hmm. of the psyche, the experience of, of people, and of groups mm-hmm. of people, and, and their, their differences in temperament and character, mm-hmm. and, you know, why we see the variation that we see. This was their way of... making sense of it and not just in a reflective philosophical way though there was plenty of that too of like trying to find the the beauty the symmetry and and the the rationale behind everything but also empirically of like well let's just observe see Mm -hmm. what 
what yeah. generally manifests during certain times and then we can see oh there's a pattern here this is generally like this and so then that's how the symbolism came about it wasn't just one person one day sitting down and set inventing some mm-hmm. system of astrology that oh i this means this and that means that it was over centuries of observation yeah along with reflection of course but it was it was both empirical and introspective very interesting so astrology is empirical it is made of many many anecdotes and as sheldrick said once anecdotes in plural is data when you have so much data what you're talking about is becoming empirical it relies on information it becomes a science it is a science that corrects itself based on contradicting data based on new data based on developments and indeed that's what astrology is in it should be respected as a science as and as an art yes it should and for those who want to say that astrology is just like a cult or a religion that is deluding people I would say that, you know, a, a cult usually has a leader. A religion usually has some some authority, whether that's a person or a text or something that is beyond questioning and, and must be obeyed. And in astrology, there's not really anything like that. I mean, there are certain ancient astrologers who are thought of as like pretty good authorities because they, they knew their stuff and it worked. But as a whole, astrology is a fairly open democratic field where you know people come up with new techniques new ideas and and mm-hmm. some it catches on with some other people and it doesn't with other you know it's there's a lot of diversity within astrology so there are different interpretations there isn't like a dogma or a prophet or anything like that it's not a cult in any way shape or form exactly Okay, so another argument that often gets brought against astrology is that it just puts people in a box. It just, you know, gives you a label, says this is what you are, which then limits you and doesn't actually fit your your individuality. So what, what do we say to that? You are already in a box, bitch. That's what we would say to that. You need to understand that you are a limited human being and you cannot be everything. Some people have the delusion that they can be anything they want if they just try hard enough. The answer is no. There are certain things you're good at and there are certain things you're really bad at. And you really need to know what you're bad at. And that is my Saturnian answer to this question. You are already in a box and you need to understand your box. Um, and you need to understand our boxes of other people. And you need to understand how these boxes move around in this, in this social environment that we live in. And if you can become aware of your limitations, what you cannot control, that also makes you more aware of what you can control, what freedom you do have. And then you're better able to use that freedom wisely. You know, mm-hmm. if you if you can understand, okay, these these this is what I'm working with. This is the fate that I the lot that I was given in life, and certain things I cannot change. But within mm-hmm. this frame of things I cannot change, uh, there's some things that I do have the freedom to control and choose my own path. So it's. It's actually helping you to be more free, in a sense. 
Yeah, you, because then you know where to direct your energy. You shouldn't direct your energy at doing something that you're not good at. You should do it where you're good. And I think that's also a reason why, one reason why astrology has increased in popularity recently is because it's a great tool for self-acceptance. Like I know there's a, a popular book out um, right now that's like astrology for radical self-acceptance and I think that's because that's really what it allows you to do is like give up any ideas of like you know who you're supposed to be based on on culture or your family's Mm -hmm. expectations or whatever um, and just accept who you actually are that the way that the universe made you you know that Mm -hmm. you you don't need to deny your own particular unique way of being. Mm-hmm. You just need yeah. to accept it and then embody it, live it in, in the best way possible. Yeah, exactly. And live your chart in the best way possible. I can't stress it enough. So the point is that the chart shows you your limitations and... To me, it is something that of a high value. I really highly value something that tells me this is where you're limited. Stop trying. Focus on where it's easy. Focus on your destiny. Focus on where you're meant to go. And that brings us to the idea of destiny. Uh, astrology so shows you what you are meant to become. This is your wholeness, your totality. And that's why Many people also do not identify with parts of their chart, especially the Ascendant, because this is a place where you grow into. You grow into becoming, into expressing your chart, which is your totality. Yeah, if astrology only told you what you already know about yourself, it wouldn't be a very useful or valuable tool. But Mm. because it can help you, learn about and come to terms with and learn how to align yourself with the parts of yourself that you were unconscious of before and it is true also that in previous ages astrology has sometimes been used or like conceived of in a more sort of dualistic way of like certain certain placements are very favorable or unfavorable Mm -hmm. it was and it was used more for like, oh, let's try and choose an auspicious time to do this. Like, this is the more kind of traditional, especially Greek Hellenistic astrology. But modern astrology tends to be more non-dual of like seeing, okay, even the things that are traditionally considered bad placements can have a constructive side or a redeeming quality. You know that like you can see the, mm-hmm. the positive within the negative. That it's not I just. See good and bad um, um, and so in that way i feel like it's sort of a maturation of astrology that's mm. happened that gone beyond a, a dualistic conception of let's try and fight against destiny to more just mm-hmm. flow with it yeah interesting let's take for example mercury retrograde some astrologer would say don't fly don't drive on mercury retrograde it's an inauspicious time to move around but you can also think well life must go on so how do you reconcile it what can you do with it as as a person should you fly or not fly during mercury retrograde (laughs) 
I would say that you know if you if you need to travel, if there is a real need, then don't uh, cancel it just because of that. But just go with the awareness that oh, like oh, Mercury is retrograde right now. Maybe I should get to try to get to the airport an hour earlier because because mm. delays are likely. Or you know, it doesn't mean a catastrophe will happen. No, it just means that there will be some delays and some mishaps. Yeah. So if you have the awareness, then you can best work with what's going on with the, the, the energy that's present and expect it in a way. Expect there will be delays and not get upset when they happen because then you then you would say, of course, it's Mercury retrograde. And you'd be chill, whereas other people would be angry and upset because they didn't take it into account. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm now speaking from personal experience that there is definitely a sense of relief, I guess, or acceptance when things like that happen. Of like, you know, I turn on the computer and it's having uh, an issue. I have to restart it or something, and I realize, oh. Mercury's retrograde. It's like, mm. oh, okay. Not in the sense of like, oh, I, can, I have something to blame it on, but just in the sense of like, oh, this is part of a bigger, meaningful pattern that happens again and again. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not just some fluke thing that just hap- happened to happen to me today. Then I feel like less, mm-hmm. um, less that I'm a victim and more just like, oh, well, that's what happened. That's the quality of time at that moment. Okay. All right. That was a very interesting conversation. Thank you, Danny. Thank you, Elio. So we talked about the validity of astrology. Is astrology real? Is it not? And we are obviously biased and we think the answer is yes, it is real. We gave the arguments against it and the arguments for it. We ourselves were skeptics of astrology. It's only, um, how long has it been? Two years, I think? Two Two or three years? Two or three years that we've been into it. But before that, if you asked Elior of six years ago, if I believe in astrology, I probably would have said that it's bullshit. And here I am advocating for it. Any concluding remarks, Danny? Just to say that, yeah, I also was a skeptic of astrology for a long time. I hadn't really been exposed to it too much except for like sun sign horoscopes and I never related too much to those. So I thought it was bullshit. But once I actually started looking into it seriously, I read several books about it. For those who are interested in a really good argument in its favor from a very rigorous philosophical perspective, I would suggest the book uh, Cosmos and Psyche by Richard Tarnas. That was kind of the first thing I read that actually made me start to consider it seriously and really convinced me that, that there was something, there was some truth there to be found. Though I also have to say that I am exposed to a lot of astrology, especially on like social media, that I, I would say is mostly bullshit. You know, there, there are people that are doing what they call astrology, but is not very rigorous or careful or, you know, it's full of a lot of stereotypes and assumptions and, and people just saying whatever the hell they want. But if you look into it seriously and people that, that really take it seriously, I am convinced that it is very valuable and contains a lot of truth. So you mentioned the book uh, Cosmos and Psyche. That's really what opened you up to astrology. 
Yeah. Was, were there other books you recommend? Yeah. Astrology, Psychology, and the Four Elements by Stephen Arroyo. That's also a very hmm. um, good, fairly introductory text to um, astrology. And the first part includes a lot of the sort of arguments in its favor from a modern scientific philosophical perspective. And another book that is very relevant and and well written is by Chiron Legrice called The Archetypal Cosmos. All right, thank you for all these recommendations, Danny. I myself read parts of these books. I didn't read them as thoroughly as Danny did. But I learn whatever you tell me, Danny, and that's how we learn through these conversations. And I think we should continue these conversations and talk more about astrology and let the audience listen to what we talk about. I think we should continue these conversations, talk more about astrology, philosophy, alchemy, which we didn't really touch on too much in, in this episode, but definitely we'll be exploring in future episodes. So tune in to our next episode. That's right. See you next time. Comment below. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.